reading this morning is also from First Chronicles, the book of First Chronicles, chapter 16. We'll be reading verses 1 through 36. First Chronicles 16, beginning in verse 1. And hear God's true and eternal word. So they brought the ark of God and set it in the midst of the tent that David had pitched for it. And they offered burnt sacrifices and peace offerings before God. And when David had made an end of offering the burnt offerings and the peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord, and he dealt to every one of Israel, both man and woman, to every one a loaf of bread and a good piece of flesh and a flagon of wine. And he appointed certain of the Levites to minister before the ark of the Lord and to record and to thank and praise the Lord God of Israel. Asaph the chief, and next to him, Zechariah, Jael, and Shemiramoth, and Jael, and Mattathiah, and Eliab, and Beniah, and Obed-Edom, and Jael with psalteries and with harps. But Asaph made a sound with cymbals. Beniah also and Jaziel the priests with trumpets continually before the ark of the covenant of God. Then on that day David delivered first this psalm to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. Give thanks unto the Lord, call upon his name, make known his deeds among the people. Sing unto him, sing psalms unto him, talk ye all of all his wondrous works. Glory ye in his holy name, let the heart of them rejoice that seek the Lord. Seek the Lord and his strength, seek his face continually. Remember his marvelous works that he hath done his wonders, and the judgments of his mouth. O ye seed of Israel, his servant, ye children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God, his judgments are in all the earth. Be ye mindful always of his covenant, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations, even of the covenant which he made with Abraham, and of his oath unto Isaac. And hath confirmed the same to Jacob for a law, and to Israel for an everlasting covenant, saying unto thee will I give the land of Canaan, the lot of your inheritance. When ye were but few, even a few, and strangers in it, and when they went from nation to nation, and from one kingdom to another people, he suffered no man to do them wrong. Yea, he reproved kings for their sakes, saying, Touch not mine anointed, and do my prophets no harm. Sing unto the Lord all the earth, show forth from day to day his salvation. Declare his glory among the heathen, his marvelous works among all nations. For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. He also is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Glory and honor are in His presence. Strength and gladness are in His place. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. 
given to the Lord glory and strength, given to the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him all the earth. The world also shall be stable, that it be not moved. Let let the heavens be glad, and let the earth rejoice. And let men say among the nations, The Lord reigneth. Let the sea roar, and the fullness thereof. Let the fields rejoice in all that is therein. Then shall the trees of the wood sing out at the presence of the Lord, because He cometh to judge the earth. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. And say ye, save us, O God of our salvation, and gather us together and deliver us from the heathen, that we may give thanks to Thy holy name and glory in Thy praise. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel forever and ever. And all the people said, Amen, and praised the Lord. Amen. Thus far in the reading of God's holy word and congregation, we, we are today thanking God for His great goodness to us. Ever since January 22 of 1973, 49 years ago, our country has as, as an entire nation sanctioned the killing of unborn babies. This is a sin that in God's Word, um, He describes it as never having crossed His mind. He's never ever conceived that something like this could happen. Um, We read in Jeremiah 7.31 when when God relates to that having happened in His people, with His people. It says, And they have built the high places of Tophet, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. Later in Jeremiah 19.5, it says, They have built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. Therefore, behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that this place shall no more be called Tophet, nor the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. That's that's how God speaks of this kind of sin. And we need to realize that in in a certain way, it's, it's as if until now, until this very week, when a nation is sanctioning this kind of sin, promoting it and allowing it and branding it as something that is okay, our nation has been, in the eyes of God, a valley of slaughter. And 
It is bad enough when, when one person goes, perhaps in a country where this is not allowed, but we understand that that happens, where a person goes against the country's desire and, or goes maybe into another country to do it legally, but it's an individual decision. It, it is worse when it is a country sanctioning it. Because as we read, God's hand then is heavy upon that entire nation. Now don't, don't allow people to discourage you when they say, yes, but it's still alright in certain states. That, that is not something that should make us not so thankful for what has happened. You know, the, the response to that is, yes, absolutely. That will be the continuous prayer in our nation. It has not ended in a second that the plight of the unborn has to continue. But see, what we pray may happen is that God would instill in the consciences now of the leaders of these states that God's hand will be heavy upon them state by state. And this is what I mean that it is worse when it is God's hand heavy upon a whole nation. This is what happened to Israel. First to the kingdom of the north, Israel, and they were taken captive because of their sins. And this was one of the common practices among them. And they were dispersed among the people of Syria, never to return again as a people. Judah was preserved in Babylon, but they were captive there for 60 years, for 70 years of captivity. So this is not a sin that God looks lightly upon. And it is a work of God that He has given judges that were brave, even, even, even with the courage to go against culture, the courage to go against politics, to go against threats to themselves and even to their families. These are things that make us realize that God is the one who's been doing a work and He is answering prayers. And, and I believe the very fact that this is something that we've been praying for as, as a people, as a church. Some of you um, have been praying your whole entire lives. You've never lived when this was not the law of the land. Some of us had a few years where this was not something in our, in our life and existence. But it, is, it has happened. And we have this service to, to focus upon this. This is a day that we must pause and give thanks to the Lord and understanding that there is indeed much work still and much prayer to be done but it is a beginning and we must be very thankful. And this is why I chose this passage. And in our first point, we will look at the theme of thanking God for His glory. Secondly, we will speak of declaring God's glory. And thirdly, we will give God glory. The overarching theme, glory in God's holy name. It is a desire then for us to acknowledge this, this is not the work of man. This is not the work of politics. This is not where we have to be thinking that man has been at work. No, it has been God. And yes, He has been using people. 
But we need to acknowledge God. And so our first point, thank God for His glory. And it helps us to see the parallel. Israel was here at a point where they had much to be thankful to God for. And so there was this day of thanksgiving. This, in our text, was, was very clearly a day that was set apart to give thanks to God because the ark had just recently entered Jerusalem. Now, you'll remember that the ark of the covenant had been 70 years in obscurity in Aminadab's house. All throughout the reign of Saul, it was he never bothered to bring it anywhere of prominence. It, it was as if it, it, this was very, very critical and showed the heart of Saul. It was not a God-centered nation that Saul was ruling. It was a Saul-centered nation. And yet David, because he loved the Lord, he, he could not live with the thought that the capital city of our nation is Jerusalem, but the ark is elsewhere and in obscurity, not in a public place. That's where God manifests His presence. I want it to be in the center of our whole nation. It was a statement. It was David saying, "This I am a king, but this is a theocracy still in the sense that it is God who is ruling over us. See, for, for a believer, it doesn't matter if you live in a country that is communist or socialist or democratic. Christianity is not democratic. It is not of any political party. It is a theocracy. Christ is our King. He is ruling in the church, in your heart. If you belong to Him, He is the King that you bow to first and foremost. And this is what David was doing. And so, so he wanted to bring the ark to Jerusalem. Remember, they, they had been so unused with dealing with the ark that even David did not realize that putting it in a new cart, no matter how, how dignified that looked, it was not the right way. And so when the ark was about to fall, Uzzah tried to stop it and he lost his life. David was confused. He thought he was doing a good thing. But then when he understood better, he realized we, we weren't following God's Principles. We weren't following his mandates. I want to do a good thing, but I need to do it the right way. And so they used Levites to carry the ark and in, by foot bringing it into Jerusalem. And when they did it the right way and the Lord received that worship, this is chapter 16. It was a day of thanksgiving. And David put together three psalms. Um, in verse 7, it shows that David delivered these. It says this psalm, it really is three of them, to thank the Lord into the hand of Asaph and his brethren. And if you want to take note in your Bible, verse 8 all the way to verse 22 is Psalm 105, verses 1 through 15. And it's very interesting to see what, what David is doing here is in essence what we do every single worship service where, where we take four to five psalms together and we render glory to God with a composition of a few psalms from God's Word. And this is what David's doing. He started all the way to verse 23 with Psalm 105, 1 through 15. And then verse 23 all the way to verse 33, it is the entirety of Psalm 96 put together. Verse 34 is Psalm 106, verse 1. So even did here what we kind of do where we choose a few stanzas every now and then of a few psalms. 
verses 35 and 36 are verses 47 and 48 of Psalm 106. So verse 34 is the first verse, and verses 35 to 36 is the last few verses of Psalm 106, the beginning and the end of a psalm. And these are the three psalms that David is putting together to, to render thanks to the Lord, to show Him how grateful we are. Now the word thankful, um, our English word thankful, is, is allied. It, it is connected to the Anglo-Saxon derivation of thankful, which is thankful. To be full of thought. It doesn't just sound the same. It sounds the same because they are connected. The word thankful has a connection with the word thankful. Where, where your mind is so full of what God has done. And you want to acknowledge it. You want to show your joy for it. You, you, you want to render to God in connection to what your mind are, is so full of what God has done. Now, if, if you're like most people, because I'm speaking to people and I'm thinking of myself, these, this sounds so good, we can't, it doesn't even seem to be true. For how many years have we been praying that this would happen in our minds? We, we, we almost know it's not going to happen. We, we just think in terms of, yes, maybe one day. And yes, God is powerful to do it. But we can't really conceive of this possibility. And it's happened. Roe versus Wade has been overturned. God has done this great thing. Now, whatever it is that will happen in the, in, in the laws of this land, we need to stop and acknowledge that God is more powerful than men. And we do pray now that God would use this to send a message to hearts. Now, this is the key thing right now that we need to understand as a church and as a people. We need to understand that laws are not what save a people. Legislation is not what even brings, in essence, revival. See, when we look at the revivals of the Old Testament and we look at what's happening here, it's, yes, David was the governor of the land and yet he was like a pastor of the land. It was very interconnected because Israel was supposed to be that way and every government is really supposed to be connected to God in that way. So when he made this decision, it did bring an element of purity to Israel. But it did not rule in every heart in Israel. And we're going to see examples where even where there were godly kings trying to bring um, reformations, before you know it, it was necessary again because there were always people who were still sinning. Now this will be, this will be even more emphatic in a land like our own where there are no connections between the government and, and Christianity. Where, where there are Christians in the government, but there's not much of, a, of an acknowledgement of the importance of religion. So it will happen. Yes, there will be a lot of people still doing it. There, there, there will be even the, the crime now associated to it in, in, in places that are done that are not supposed to do it, but they're doing it anyway. Those things very likely will continue. But we need to be thankful 
for what God has done, and we need to acknowledge also, Lord, bring true revival. Bring true revival. Our, our pastor, Elzout, from our congregations, wrote a beautiful letter to his own congregation, and I want to share it with our own this coming week, where he brings this principle. This is something we should be so thankful for, what has happened. And now more than ever, perhaps, it's a time for us to plead that God would shower revival from on high because the law cannot break hearts, but God's grace can and will if God so pleases to do. And you know what I mean, because with all that has happened, we also haven't seen perhaps an anger so great in the hearts of those who loved that wickedness and loved that sin. It is scary even to see how there is proclamation for their ways of living that, that openly acknowledge that they are desiring the murder of undesirable babies. It is revealing more and more the wickedness of their hearts. They're becoming less and less ashamed of what they do. And, 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 and we're seeing this anger, of course, against people like you and me who, who are part of the church. The church is being seen as, as the culprit, as the ones who made this happen. And so the anger now and the rage will be against Christians. And this will be a great test for the church. There might be Christians who won't be so thankful because this will mean persecution. And this will mean that people will hate you. Well, there were many people who were hating the kings who were causing there to be uh, an impossibility to offer their babies in those burnt sacrifices. But that didn't keep holy Ezekiah and holy Josiah from making it happen. Well, let's, let's think of their case. In their case, their joy was now the present location of the ark. It had been in an obscure place. It had been um, in, in a house in the woods. It, it was private. It wasn't public. It was borrowed. It was not its own. Remember, the ark had been used last and lost in a battle. And in the ark of God had been taken captive among the Philistines. And in, in, in the eyes of people, in a superficial way, it was as Dagon, the god of the Philistines, had beaten the god of Israel. Remember, Jehovah was captive in the temple of Dagon. There were probably boys and girls saying, Dagon captured Jehovah. But in the next morning, remember, there were probably little children saying Jehovah broke Dagon because the news went out that Dagon had fallen. And, and the next night, he hadn't only fallen, but the neck had been broken, the head of Dagon in hands. And it was, yes, it was this that was being communicated. Yes, Jehovah was taken captive in your eyes, but actually your God is losing. It is like all of the Philistines are now captive in the hands of Jehovah. Remember, the pestilence went all throughout the little cities of, of the Philistines. They, they kept sending this ark to another city, and that ark would, would, 
make it where other people in that city would become diseased so they would send it to another city and and it got to where they had to convene and come together see when God works it makes even people who don't love God have to stop and have to acknowledge that this God is one whom we must relate to somehow and through their elders and they they got the understanding that they need to get rid of that ark that was very obvious to be done They put all of those offerings of gold with it because they wanted to appease that God. But they obviously connected that their safety would only come if that ark was outside the territory of the Philistines. And because in their minds they still needed some kind of assertion, remember what they did, they said, put it in a cart and put it with oxen that will take it, the cows, but put the young of those cows in a stall because in nature, those cows won't go anywhere. They're going to wait for, the, for their babies and to be with their calves. But even as their calves were there begging and begging for their moms not to go, those cows went. They went against nature, far from their calves, into the land of God. And to the Philistines, it was being communicated what God wanted them to understand. That's its rightful place. And yes, this that you all have been suffering is of God. And yes, Dagon is no God. And yes, Jehovah is. Well, that was the last use of the ark as it arrived in Israel. Remember, there was still a sin where even though they were so happy, the Israelites to see it, there were some bold enough to look into the ark and it caused the death of thousands of men. And it it brought from that point on this holy dread of the ark that they almost rather leave it in obscurity. It is too dangerous for us. And Saul never produced and never promoted to to have it in a central way until now. And David brought it. And and David sees no one died this time. It is now in a tent in Jerusalem. It is God telling us we did the right thing. And so they are so full of joy. And then we think of our our case. We've been talking about it. We've been living for 49 years where this has been the law of the land. Even states who have more of a conservative desire were not really allowed to have that conservative inclination. And, and, And God has graciously made it where this will be possible now. The estimate, beloved, you may have seen the numbers ever since... 1973, only until 2021, which is from the numbers that I found, 63,459,781 babies have been killed. And now the country will no longer be as a nation who sanctions it. Yes, it will be state by state. But as I said, God's hand will be upon the state. And we, the people in a state, must continue on our knees. And we must continue also humbly pleading, Lord, forgive us. But Lord, what thou hast done for the nation, do for my state too. Work in the hearts of our leaders. Convert them. Turn them into Paul's. No longer Saul's. 
But secondly, declare God's glory. Now, this, this is in many ways the center of this whole sermon because this is what we see in the Psalms. You notice what Paul, what David did is he, he brought Psalms together that was making the people, that would make the people look back in their history so that they would indeed talk about the great things that God has done. This is one way by which we give thanks to God is to talk about what God has done, the great things that He has done. Now, the world is, is seeing that we are rejoicing. They are angry, but we need to explain why there is joy. And in this explanation, there may be a revelation of how true it is that we must be thankful for this. Because indeed, it is good to preserve life. It indeed is good to see little babies be born and to, to grow into adulthood. And then in a few years to come, we'll be able to compare numbers and we will be able to see that instead of 800,000 who die in one year, maybe the numbers will, will, will decrease significantly and we'll be able to say, do you see what this means? That, that, that these 400, 500, whatever it would be, 1,000 babies would not have been here if this law had not happened. But now we can see that life is being preserved. Is this not good? And, and one state can perhaps look at the other and say, you see, those children in your country are still dying. But look at our state, how many have been preserved. Don't you want the same desire for life? And we pray that God would use um, even, even reason to help people realize this, this is indeed a good thing for our nation. Now, to declare God's glory um, is, is a theme I, I want to stand upon a little even as we look at the not just the context of when this was written I remember mentioning this one before when we once before when we went through this chapter but one thing we don't remember often when we're reading through Chronicles is that Chronicles was actually compiled after God's people came back from those years of bondage in Babylon so after they had been there for all those years and they arrived back into Jerusalem. And remember, they, they came back with, with Zerubbabel, and then they came back with Ezra, and then another group came back with Nehemiah. There were three times that people went in exile, and three times that people came back to Jerusalem that the Persian Empire allowed to return home. And the recorders and the priests and they all started compiling the history of God's people and they produced first and second chronicles so the, the people who are receiving this literature this history of their own people they're not seeing the temple they're not even seeing the ark they're just seeing that there was a day they were happy there was an ark even though it was in a tent but they're looking not even at the foundations of the temple that had to be built too it was around 450 B.C. It was a people coming back to a, a city, and, and not just a city, but all of Judah in ruins. No temple, no homes, no walls, no protection, no structure, no stability. And they needed to remember that God had done great things in the past. In order to be content in the present and be hopeful for the future. Now, beloved, 
Now go back to the days where David sees that ark inside the tent. Um, um, the people are rejoicing. See, they're, they're seeing the work of God. And what a great joy that is. But what God is saying with this, this text is, if we are in a day where everything is dark and dreary, and, and the laws go back to what is evil and gets worse and worse, We are still called to be a people to hold God's word and say, look at what God did in the past and let that give you strength to believe in a God who is present now and will give hope for the future. Remember in our studies of judgment and revival, beloved, there's always this reality. I cannot predict that a revival is coming like in the days of Jonathan Edwards, but I can promise you that there will be a greater revival still once and for all. I know that revival is coming. It's called the second coming of Christ. And all of life with Him in glory will be a never-ending revival. And so however dark and dreary things become in the future, let us remember the great things of God in the past. And this is the great blessing again of this day. We're, we're remembering a great glorious thing from a four, three, four days ago. So present to our very, um, so, so close to our very present moment. And how much we have to give God thanks for. I, I want to remind you of two great things that were so parallel to exactly what I'm saying. If we continue reading in 2 Chronicles, we arrive in, in, in 1 Chronicles, arrives in 2 Chronicles, chapter 29 is the beginning of Hezekiah's life, his rules, his reformations. We all know about, about Hezekiah. There, there's one thing we might forget about Hezekiah. He had a father, Ahaz. Who did this? Look at chapter 28 that speaks of Ahaz's life. It says, verse 1, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem, but he did not that which was right in the sight of the Lord like David his father, for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel and made also molten images for Balaam. Moreover, he burnt incense in the valley of the sons of Hinnom, We've read already where Hinnom is, Jeremiah, and what was built there. And it says, And burnt his children in the fire, after the abominations of the heathen whom the Lord had cast out before the children of Israel. So what, what I'm putting together here is that Hezekiah, who's the great reformer, and who broke all the images of the Baals and of Ashtoreth and all the high places and, and desecrated the valley of Hinnom, his own father offered brothers of his. It says children. Siblings of Hezekiah were offered in children's sacrifice. But then God used Hezekiah to bring one of the greatest reformation. You read that his was greatest. You read that Josiah's was greatest. They were both great revivals that God brought. Look at 2 Chronicles 29 verse 3. It says, He in the first year of his reign, in the first month, 
opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. And he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them together into the east street and said unto them, Hear me, ye Levites, sanctify now yourselves and sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry forth the filthiness out of the holy place. He had idolatry, things connected to false gods inside the temple. Verse 6, For our fathers have trespassed and done that which was evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and have forsaken Him and have turned away their faces from the habitation of the Lord and turned their backs. His own very father was one of those who had last done it. And Ahaz had been the first Judah king who offered the first child sacrifice recorded in Scripture. And then God used his son Hezekiah, who survived a father who did that, to bring reformation. But then Hezekiah had a son, Manasseh, and he did the same that his grandfather did, sadly. But when Josiah was born, sometimes we forget Josiah was a grandson of Manasseh. So you see, Manasseh came and started the sins all over again. Josiah's own father was not one who walked with the Lord, but Josiah comes and reformation begins again. And what you see in both Hezekiah and Josiah is that after they did all their reform, Hezekiah celebrated the Passover. Josiah celebrated the Passover. It was a heart saying, now it's time to give thanks. God, God has brought a reformation. There are elements of revival. We know that sin's not completely altogether gone, but we know that we have to give thanks to God. And so they celebrated the Passover. Declare God's glory. We're declaring, we're remembering things that God has done in the past, even even in our own history. And now our third point, give God glory. See, in in being thoughtful, so we are thankful and we declare and talk about the things that God has done. Well, in many ways, this is the active part of gratitude is when we give. That's why we speak of thanksgiving. It is all about giving to God. We render to Him because of all the glorious things He has done. And in in many ways, a, a thanksgiving is worship in and of itself. We give our thanks. We give God glory. We, we give Him worship. And what we find in the, if we go back there to First Chronicles 29, when we look at those um, psalms that He has Used, it gives a sense that, that and it, it, it is this reality, it is impossible to give God enough where we will realize, oh, we've given Him everything we should give. There's nothing else now to be give, given. No, we find this in the wording and in the vocabulary. We, we start this whole mindset of giving in verse 28 of First Chronicles 16. Give unto the Lord, ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Not that God needs glory and strength, but see, when we give Him strength, we're simply acknowledging He is strong. When we give Him glory, we're acknowledging He is the God of all glory. But given to the Lord, verse 29, the glory due unto His name. And this is where there would be, in a sense, a never-ending worship service because it's a glory due His name. 
When can we end doing this? And we find this from this text, the sense of it will be impossible to end. Bring an offering and come before Him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before Him. Did you notice fear is here like a verb? It's not have the fear of God. It is fear Him. Um, um, Honor Him. Give Him reverence. All the earth, the world also shall be stable and it be not moved. See, this is the desire of our hearts, beloved, that even those who are hating the decisions, God would work in their hearts to acknowledge this is a good decision. It will help you. It will be a blessing to you and to our state, to our whole nation. You must fear the Lord too. And then he says, verse 31, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Right in this phrase, he puts the whole cosmos, the earth where we are and live and the heavens, which is all right before us all of you do your part be glad and rejoice and then he says and let men say among the nations the Lord reigneth verse 32 he starts taking things of this earth the sea roar do your part see and the fullness thereof all the oceans of this world let the fields rejoice and all that in there is. So, so the cattle in the fields, the grain in the fields, the grass, the trees, everything that's in the field, do your part and rejoice. Then shall the trees of the wood sing out at the presence of the Lord because He cometh to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for He is good for His mercy endureth forever. That's, that's verse 1 of Psalm 106. See, see, this is the sense that you take. David used a psalm. He ran out of, of elements there, and, and yet there's more praise to be given. So he goes to Psalm 106, and he brings a psalm where it keeps repeating that His mercy endureth forever. And you and I are called to then give Him glory and thank Him forever and ever and ever. Give Him glory. And just in concluding, especially as we think of what God has given to us. And that, beloved, is the foundation of all giving to Him. God gave us His only begotten Son. The parallels regarding the gratitude of our heart are really stark because when we think of Jesus as a gift, we think of Him as a baby in a manger. And we think of Him when He grew up. He said that if we receive the kingdom of heaven as we receive one of these little ones, we will enter in there. And we're talking about a sin that is literally saying that it doesn't matter how little a little one is. Their lives do not matter. It is my decision if they stay or they go. And when we think of the Lord Jesus, when He even was in the womb, it wasn't exactly the kind of pregnancies that in today's world would easily seek for an end. But thanks be to God. The little baby Jesus was born. He was welcomed into an unwelcomed world. 
Now, that story at Christmas that there was no room in the end is, is not just a coincidence. It was really communicating the heart of this world. The heart of man is unwelcoming even to little babies, to pregnant moms. Beloved, if, if you had a father and a mother who arrive at your home in the dark of the day knocking, wouldn't you at least look in mercy upon those souls with a pregnant wife and say, we will take care of you somehow? Because you have a heart of Christ, but not the world. The result of the world now is hatred because they want to kill. That's why when Jesus was in the womb, as they knocked on doors, they said, No, we don't care that your wife is pregnant. And so he had to be laid in a manger. No, it. Being laid in a manger the way that Jesus was received is, is what all these Christian churches are trying to do through, through pregnancy resource ministries. Just trying to welcome these little babies and saying they are welcome. We will love them. And this is where the church perhaps has to go in full force now to make it clean and clear that we want to welcome babies into the world and we want to care for moms. We want to care for those who are in the same predicament as, as a Mary, the mother of Jesus. Because we love life. And see, this baby Jesus came into the world to begin His ministry. And what did He do? He gave His life. See, Christianity is all about our Savior giving His life. And then each and every one of us, we look at Jesus and we're ready to give our lives. We, we are not a religion that kills. We are a religion that dies. We, we are ready to die. That others may know the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Even in countries that they will kill you if you arrive there. But we think someone must go. Someone must tell them about Jesus. That's why there's so much darkness. So most of all, we are thankful for the gift of God's Son to us. It is that gift that even gives us the heart to understand that we are grateful today. And in the power of that gratitude, beloved, let us, let us continue to show forth the love of Christ even to a world that hates Christ and hates Christ's people because we stand for what God stands for. He will give the grace. He will give the strength. There have been dark days in the past and God's people were told to remember the great things. In the midst of the darkness, let us remember the great things and for the great things that are so close, let us be thankful and let us, let us rejoice. Amen. Let us pray. Our grateful and glorious God, we do thank Thee for the great things that Thou hast done, Lord, throughout the ages. We thank Thee for bringing the ark after 70 years in obscurity to the very central part of Israel in Jerusalem. We thank Thee, Lord, for having raised Hezekiah in great days of great darkness where even his own father was one who worshipped false gods and had a murderous heart even towards his own children, his own siblings. Lord, we thank Thee for having raised Josiah. We thank Thee for having brought back the people from captivity when, when all of this was recorded that we're reading. 
And Lord, we, we look upon the sad days um, where Roe versus Wade was the law of the land. And we, we are so thankful, Lord, that Thou hast answered the prayers of countless millions of believers, many whom have died throughout this whole season. But now, Lord, we can rejoice and thank Thee. And we don't want to miss, Lord, the reality that Thou hast done a glorious work among us. We, we do want, don't want to be naive to think that this, this is everything. We understand, Lord, that, that the laws of a nation cannot save hearts. And so we know, Lord, that what we need is revival. What we pray for, Lord, is conversions. And we pray, O God, that Thou would do so, that Thou would rule in the hearts of men and women. We pray, Lord, that Thou would exalt the name of Thy Son, Lord Jesus Christ, that we may sing with this psalm, Lord, where where the whole world would be stable and that it would not be moved and that the heavens and the earth would do their part in rejoicing and being glad for Thou art the only true God. And we ask all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.